views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanan Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is October 7th, 2015, three days from the, uh, well, several days from the Justice or Else Day, and also another day predicted to be the end of the world that is come and gone. The Justice Department is set to release about 6,000 inmates early from prison, the largest one-time release of federal prisoners in an effort to reduce overcrowding and provide relief to drug offenders who received harsh sentences over the past three decades, according to U.S. officials. It sounds like an abolitionist win, and it is to some degree. We'll give you our perspective on the issue. Seems like all the usual slave trading giants are trying to make themselves look like heroes. Starting this month, California will be granting one-time time amnesty for unpaid traffic and non-traffic infraction tickets. This program will go on until March 31st, 2017, and allegedly offers real financial relief to many people who need it. It also promises to potentially reinstate many suspended driver's licenses. Let's examine this amnesty under an abolitionist's microscope. Hundreds of thousands across the nation are routinely subject to weeks or months of pre-trial incarceration solely because of financial status. The litmus test of whether the accused are allowed to go home or spend nights in cells away from their family and jobs is the size of their bank account. If you have one, we'll go over the article from Bay State Banner called Jailed Until Proven Guilty. Inability to pay bail can mean weeks in jail awaiting trial by Jules Patterson Gordon. Also, uh, Attorney General Loretta Lynch says government shouldn't require reports of people killed by police. She also said local police are encouraged to maintain records on such killings, but improving police community relations is more important. (laughs) Yeah, indeed, this is some of that bull, and we'll be talking about it tonight. A state population that is 90% white and 0.06% black. If you've been following the America is Ferguson series, you already know how this is going to look. Like someone is hunting black people and throwing them in cages in unbelievable, unequal numbers. Today, Montana is Ferguson. 
This week's rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Eric Kane, 24, and Aaron Patterson, 25, who were tried together in 1989 and convicted by separate juries of stabbing an elderly couple to death on the south side of Chicago. On March 16, 2011, 25 years after his conviction, the state of Illinois dismissed all charges against Kane and Cook. Our abolitionist in profile is Sarah Remond, eighteen twenty six to eighteen ninety four, an African American abolitionist, an eloquent orator, an inspiring leader, who made her first speech against slavery when she was just sixteen. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archived podcasts at New Abolitionist radio.blogspot.com and we invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-641-715-3660 extension is 549-032-POUND just press star 6 and 1 to queue up from the conference line once again I'm Max Parthas peace Johanna peace Scotty um, Johanna's not here but peace to you Max and it's uh, good to hear your voice tonight as you have been through a hurricane you and your family made it through safely and we're thankful to the creator and the ancestors for that uh, but wow man I'm looking at the video and whatnot. roads watch, washing out dams crumbling I mean like where's the infrastructure jobs program that this uh, so called country desperately needs yes that was a uh an amazing experience we lived through. They say it's a once in a thousand year uh, flooding event and storm. And it hit us pretty hard, but we were really lucky, man. The door came up to our doorstep and didn't go over it. Like we were warded. Roads collapsed all around us. We were without lights and power for several days without communications for almost a whole week. And uh, it was it was difficult, but we were prepared in advance. <laughs> now, I don't know if this was a real photo or if it had been photoshopped, but there was a, a photo on Facebook that showed this guy on some major, like, boulevard, some road uh, with a shark in the water. He was in a truck. Um, yes. Looked now, like he's sitting high off the ground, and, you know, he's taking a picture out the window, and there's a shark. That happened in Myrtle Beach, and here in Columbia, South Carolina – the crocodiles got out of the zoo and were swimming around in the new lake that used to be Finley Park. <laughs> it used to be a park, but it became a lake, and we had crocodiles in it. Yeah, it was, even was, um, caskets being unearthed in yes. cemeteries. So I've seen the footage, man, and, you know, we talked about it on Black Talk Radio News, of course, but I was also coming at it at the angle of, you know, um, this crumbling infrastructure. Because I worked on a bridge in uh, Sardis, Georgia, that was built in the 1930s. That's almost 100 years old. And so, and, and you know, later we'll be talking about, and people ask the question, what what what's happens now? Okay, they're going to let out these 6,000. I heard possibly over 100,000 later in, in about another month or so. And so some people have asked, you know, well, what are we going to do with them? Well, number one, we're going to take care of them. You know, that's family coming home. It should be a jubilant uh, time. But, you know, uh, how about a jobs program? Rebuilding America's crumbling uh, infrastructure. There are plenty of bridges and roads and and whatnot. I mean, they've been working on them while they was in the prison, so they already bringing experience. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, that really that's what I was talking about in terms of just watching watching those bridges and dams and and roads just crumble like that, man. And yeah, you know, uh, and it led to fatalities. 
it could have led to a catastrophe at uh, mm-hmm. several junctions. We had to open up uh, the Lake Murray Dam, which is one of, if not the one of the largest man-made lakes in America. And uh, just knowing that that thing was ready to overflow with so many people who could be flooded out by that and killed was uh, scary. And uh, all the roads are just falling apart, like you said, and they need to be rebuilt. There's a jobs available right there. I mean, uh, South Carolina has a half a billion dollar a year Department of Justice uh, budget. I'm sure they've got some money available to help people get jobs and fix up these roads. Yeah, instead of providing jobs for overseers, that's all they doing. And, and again, you know, the corporate aspect with uh, the food corporations coming in, providing slop and, and the medical uh, people coming in, practicing malpractice, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, at the same time, though, we do have some, some good news to report for a change. Yeah, we got a, a lot of good news that's coming up and has been coming up over the past few weeks uh, regarding the abolitionist fight. But at the same time, we are looking at them through the lens of anything could be that 13th Amendment exception clause. And we know how reform works. Reform allows criminals to walk off scot-free like they never did anything to anybody. And it was all just a great big mistake that we could fix. So mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing how they're going along with this. And what they're offering us uh, as a people sounds good on the surface. I've like a, what? In what? Well, you know, like they're freeing 6,000 people now, potentially 46,000 people uh, coming up. In, in I mean, that's good, though. I mean, not just on the surface. I mean, if I was one of those 6,000 prisoners of war, because they are prisoners of America's so-called drug war, which most people, uh, right-thinking people, will call it a war on people, you know. And so anytime in war, and this is warfare that we engaged in, um, so um, anytime you can get back 6,000 of your people, you did you did good. That's a battlefield well, of victory or that was uh, successful negotiations or you did something right. It's a start. It's yeah, a start. to cause their release. It's not even close to what we want. It, I no, mean, no, we, no, same no. Same argument could not. be said when they release 46 or 22. Yeah, so we just Anybody keep Anybody that gets released loves their freedom and wants it desperately. And we celebrate that here on the program every week. With our uh, underground riders, yeah. railroad riders, right, right. So six thousand is a huge number. I was uh, listening to Why You Mad Son Radio last night, and the host Child Boogie said mentioned something about over a hundred thousand, maybe a hundred and ten thousand, hundred and twenty thousand the next month, um, or whatever time frame they gave in processing them. You know, they're already working on processing it, and that's you know it's taking some time. But, I mean, that's a whole lot of people, man. If you then, let's just say it's 126,000 people re- released from the federal system on drug, nonviolent drug crimes and whatnot. That's a lot of people, especially when you can, how, what's the number of the federal system? How many, you know, because of, it's, not, it's not as large, that population is not as large as the states combined. Well, this is a complex system, Scott. Yeah. And it and when you release those six thousand people, Let me look they can replace up. those same six thousand people. Right, 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 right. Of course, hours. Right, of course, of course. If you still practicing slave catching out on the street with them drug war 
uh, laws that now, you know, this so-called bipartisan group of senators came together to say that uh, we've been working on this reform package for two, this criminal justice reform package for two years, okay, and, and I hadn't heard nothing about they had been working, so this was done in secret apparently, I'm sure the uh, private prison lobbyists and, and their other people putting money in their pocket uh, had their say in the bill, uh, uh Obviously, the people I know, the new abolitionists that I know didn't have a say in the bill because, you know, I haven't heard anybody talk about this bill. But what it amounts to quite simply is um, instead of putting you in prison for a nonviolent victimless drug crime, you had a crack pipe. You had, you know, um, you had I don't know how much ever crack. All right. Don't take that much for them to give you 20 years. So instead of we're going to give you 20 years, um, we're going to give you 10 or we're going to give you five. And then you just keep, you know, arresting people. And, you know, they're not getting sentenced to 10 to 20 years. But still, that's five years of, of prison slave labor that the corporations and the federal government and the states get to profit from. So that's why, you know, I'm saying I want to see this bill pass. Um, um, Justice is not for sale act to eliminate that powerful lobbying block called the private prisons. Well, you you realize that what they're presenting here is a contrast or a, rather a competitor to what Bernie Sanders has presented. Bernie Sanders went for broke. Let's just abolish private prisons. Let's get rid of them in two years. Send them on about their Well, their, their, bill, their bill addresses the larger system. His just addresses private prisons, which is still a lot of people, and they still are have a lot of money collectively that they lobby to push legislation. They're part of ALEC and whatnot. And, and so, you know... Um, but when you're talking about changing the sentencing guidelines and so-called giving judges more discretion. So, again, instead of you putting them in prison for 20 years, you putting them in there for half that amount, 10 years. Right. You know, so that's still like you mentioned earlier, a constant trickle of more people into the system, you know. Yeah, especially with them moving from that the, from that school to you know what people deem the school to prison pipeline that zero tolerance and you know take you straight to the youth detention facility and then we're training you up for when you go to the big plantation. Yeah, by the time you get there as a youth, you're like, I don't care. I done been through this so many times. I can do it standing on my head, and that's how the attitude that they go in with. Yeah, like they're used to it by now. I'm just very hesitant to accept the first thing offered to us, and I know that within 24 hours they can put 6,000 people back into these prisons because we also know that in 2014 someone was arrested just for marijuana every 45 seconds. Every 45 seconds. Well, that's that's good um, that Oregon, even though we know that's a 98-point-whatever percent white that just legalized uh, cannabis, uh, for recreational use, and now they also have pushed legislation to uh, uh, remove, expunge those records. Basically, you know what, Chris, our brother Christopher Irvin pushes for, you know, expungement and, and, and whatnot and restoration of rights. So all of those people in Oregon, mostly white, again, um, that have been adversely affected by these drug uh, war laws, um, you know, that's going to rectify that. We need that on a national level. You know, we need that on a national level, but um, yeah. Yeah, we do need that on a national level. If you're interested in checking out the story, 
it's available on our page on New Abolitionist Radio but, right on Facebook, by the way. Yeah, if uh, you got any questions or comments, uh, don't hesitate to give us a call. We on here for two hours. Uh, we're trying to uh, hook up with Brother Yohan uh, and Elijah. Um, uh, as soon as he gets... Um, make himself available we'll bring him in but you can also step into the conversation what are your thoughts you know because a lot of times we've been running this the way we run this program it's mostly us talking and you know three people that's still you know two hours is not a lot of time when we spitting you know facts and i do feel like that's what we spit because like max just shared the link you know we uh, provide the sources but if you want to join the conversation the phone number 641-715-3660 again 641-715 3660 the participant code is 549032 pound and as max said earlier star 61 to join the conversation you could also use the web-based flash phone with a pair of headsets um for if you're uh, connected to the internet and whatnot so um what are your thought max I, i've seen people ask the question they said well what are what is the system of racism and white supremacy up to? Why are they releasing these 6,000 and reportedly uh, possibly another 100,000 or so? And that's a lot of them prisoners, man. I'm looking at this from a military standpoint. That is a huge, and, and, and yeah, that's a lot of prisoners, man. And so why do you think they're doing that? Well, mainly because of public pressure that's been put forward by the narrative that we've helped develop over the past uh, five years or so and it's really got them up against the wall the American citizenry knows exactly what's going on so these people are being forced to make concessions and that's what they are concessions but they're doing them in a, a well orchestrated way where they're not really losing anything to us it's a godsend because 6,000 or 40,000 people are coming home but they're not just coming home they're creating more slavery jobs because these people are not getting out scot-free. They're going under supervision. So they'll be supervised as they come out. Uh, and also, we all, we, as I mentioned, within 24 hours, they can replace that number easily as long as the same practices are in place. Right, right, right. They can just easily fill those beds right back up with a whole new stock of slaves, like literally. Right, right. So that right there is, is something that we have to be very aware of. Right. Uh, for them not to want to take this system apart right. in the way that we need that, it. That also means, Max, did we should um, see the executive branch, it, it, you know, to prevent what you say happened, then they need to cut off those federal grants. They get a local little small town police departments, big city police departments, rural police departments, uh, you know, those uh, grants to arrest, make drug arrests, you know. And, and so uh, if you're no longer holding that as a priority or whatnot, if you're as the federal government shifting their focus, then uh, we need to see you to defund your your efforts uh, of funding the drug war. Uh, my opinion. But we do got um, we do have uh, Johanan, brother Johanan joining us. And so before we move on to the next story, Johanan, I mean, what what do you think? is going on with them releasing uh, these drug war prisoners. Peace, Johanna. Um, Johanna, uh, I believe you're muted. You are on the line, but I'm not muting you. But we can't hear you. All right, so, um, you know, um, while... Well, there he is. Right. Yes, no? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, all right. Yeah, just uh, the, what I could hear you all say when I first got in... 
place a system itself that still remains in Oh, you're going in and out. Yeah, he's going in and out. I heard he was saying something about the system that remains in place. Right. So I'm just agreeing with what y'all. Yeah, dude, you're going in and out pretty bad. We hear you say a couple words and then you're out completely. Let me try to uh, establish a new connection. I'm going to hang up on you, Johanan, and call you back. If you don't mind, I just wanted to take a quick moment because I hadn't gotten a chance to say it before. Is thank you to, to the just overwhelming number of people that were concerned with our safety and well-being during that hurricane, including you, Scotty, and Johanan. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your well wishes and sentiments and the prayers that went out. We, I believe that the reason that we didn't get flooded out and it came right to our door and didn't go past it is because of those prayers and the karma that we already have established. So thank you very much. All right, I think we got Johanan back. Johanan? Okay. All right, well, uh, we got to continue on. Well, let me read a little bit of the story, and then we'll uh, take our, we'll go into our next story after the break. It says, the Justice Department is set to release about 6,000 inmates early from prison, the largest one-time release of federal prisons in an effort to reduce overcrowding and provide relief to drug offenders who received a harsh sentence over the past three decades, according to U.S. officials. Um, they go on to say the early release follows action by the U.S. Sentencing Commission, an independent agency that sets sentencing policies for federal crimes that reduced the potential punishment for future drug offenders last year and then made the change retroactive. The commission's action is separate from an effort by President Obama to grant clemency to certain nonviolent drug offenders, an initiative that has resulted in the early release of 89 inmates. The panel estimates that its change in sentencing guidelines eventually could result in 46,000 of the nation's approximately 100,000 drug offenders in federal prisons qualifying for early release. The 6,000 figure which has not been reported previously, is the first tranche in this process. The number of people who will be affected is quite exceptional, says Mary Price, General Counsel for Families Against Mandatory Minimums, an advocacy group that supports sentencing reform. The Sentencing Commission estimates that an additional 8,550 inmates would be eligible for release between this November 1st and November 1st, 2016. The release are part of a shift in the nation's approach to criminal justice and drug sentencing that has been driven by a bipartisan consensus that mass incarceration has failed and should be reversed. How the hell do you reverse mass incarceration without... Repeal. Maybe that's what they're talking about, repeal. Along with the commission's action, the Justice Department has instructed its prosecutors not to charge low-level nonviolent drug offenders who have no connections to gangs or large-scale drug organizations with offenses that carry severe mandatory sentences. The U.S. Sentencing Commission voted unanimously for the reduction last year after holding two public hearings in which members heard testimony from then-Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, federal judges, federal public defenders, state and local enforcement officials, and sentencing advocates. The panel also received more than 80,000 public comment letters with the overwhelming majority favoring the change. Um, it goes on to tell you know in detail some of the things that they plan to do. And as I mentioned, one of those things is the people don't just walk out free. It's a job creation program. This is where the money's going at. They're going to have people on uh, pro- probation and supervision as their 
eased into the society, so so they're saying. Uh, well, I imagine that would depend on how much time they had already spent, you know, in there. And I think this is meeting one of the demands that um were made that was made on this program, uh, when President Obama um. I think he commuted this sentence of uh, some ridiculous low amount and he's been criticized for, you know, being having the um the least amount of commutations or pardons than any uh president in history and and so I believe that we're at the end of his his term and you know he is making some concessions and whatnot and we called for remember when the um uh Holder Justice Department was arguing in court against uh, uh, stri- um, widely applying the um, new sentencing guidelines in terms of crack, the crack cocaine disparity, uh, uh, disparity. We've reported on this program yes. at the time, you know, uh, how they were keeping people in prison. So I imagine this is also some of those uh, people that they're, you know, uh, giving in to some of that pressure. But I haven't had a chance to look at. You know, the uh, look at the numbers myself and do uh, analyze the numbers in terms of, well, how many people are locked up total by the federal government on on federal that, you know, would fit this criteria of nonviolent drug crimes. Um, I know that currently for our totals, we have uh, over two million two almost two point four million behind bars in prisons. So anywhere from 60% to, I would say, 80%. I would say 60 to 75% conservatively, 60 75% of all federal prisoners, I feel like, are were uh, involved in a nonviolent drug crime. Now, you know, they that may include some people with additional charges like murder or something like that. So we're not talking about, about those people, obviously. We're talking about victimless so-called uh, drug crimes, right? And and there's more than just the drug crimes because they're focusing on the drug wars. But the, you know, where there's people affected by issues of debtors, prisons, poverty, uh, the homeless, uh, immigration. All of these aspects also have a lot of innocent people doing time in order to fill coffers in counties, cities, and states through their Department of Correction budgets. So uh, we have to look at those people getting freedom as well. I know. Yeah, it's a constant push. You're right. And this is a war. See, this is how you got to look at this, that you're in a war. What's the, you know, what's the war objective? The war objective for new abolitionists is to end slavery and human trafficking, legal and illegal. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I, um, I tend to focus more on the legalized stuff because, you know, here you are enslaving and participating in human trafficking as a representative of government who's then going out there targeting people who are doing it and they're not doing it in your name so therefore that's why theirs is is illegal it's no different than what you doing uh uh but you know so the whole hypocrisy of that the war objective is to destroy that to bring a stop to that in a free you know all of the prisoners of war that right. is the objective and so you know oftentimes war can drag on for years even decades even 
and oftentimes, you know, you might you might make some gains on the battlefield where you, let's say, come across a prisoner of war camp and you're able to liberate everybody in the camp. So, bam, that's 5,000 right there that we didn't got of our people back. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's no small thing to minimize or anything like that. It is something to celebrate, use as a tool to recruit new abolitionists and to re-energize the troops and show, you know, if you just keep putting enough pressure on these people and telling the masses the truth about it in those uncertain terms saying that, you know, we're going to end this by any means necessary. Um, yeah, I, these people ain't out of the goodness of their heart just sat around and said, you know, what we've been doing is wrong. You know, no, they've been confronted with their wrongdoing and they acknowledging it. Right, right. You know, we have uh, uh, some primary goals in the abolitionist movement, of course, Freedom is at the top of that list. Uh, for me, I estimate 1.6 million people need to be released. Uh, not 6,000 or 40,000 or 100,000, 1.6 million. And uh, so we want to see people get free. And then secondly, we want to see this system of uh, prejudice and institutional racism ended, discriminatory racism ended, where our people are not continually thrown into these jails over and over again to replace who you just set free. So we want to end that system. And then thirdly, we want reparations. We want uh, reconstruction. We want to be able to rebuild our communities. And then lastly, we want to be able to move towards autonomy because apparently the people that's been running things ain't capable of running things properly. properly. Yeah. We yeah. can do it ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think we got Johan in back. Johan, yeah, I heard, I heard yeah, something. Now, yep, yeah, and we're right at a break time. So let's take the break, and when we come back, we're going to have our other host with us today. I'm glad of that, Brother Johan. And you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on blacktalkradionetwork.com, and we'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, as of our last story, we were talking about the releases that's occurring. We're looking at that as a win, uh, but it is nowhere near enough. We want a lot more. This is just the beginning, and it shows that we, because of us together across this nation, raising our voices together, we're being heard, and concessions are being made. But don't stop now. Let's yeah, we just got some of our captured soldiers back. It's a long war. They've been fighting this war for what, going on how many centuries now? At least since the 1500s. So, yeah. Right, indeed. Uh, we're going to get into our next story, uh, and it's regarding California. California is making some concessions now. And, you know, California is one of the worst offenders. They are the king of the hill when it comes to DOC budgets with $9.3 billion a year allocated just for the Department of Corrections and employing almost 70,000 people. 70,000 people. Like, wow. So they're making some concessions, it seems, with their ticking, ticketing and amnesty uh, for those tickets. Uh, Johanan, you want to run this story? Do you have it available? couple times since I've been on here with y'all. 
Oh, we hear you now. Couldn't hear you hardly. <laughs> yeah, you're going. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. You was going in and out a moment ago. No, I'm just saying I've been having problems with my connectivity since I got on. I mean, Skype kicked me off a couple times, so I don't know. And, uh, I'll try to comment. Yeah, I was going to say you could also try that flash phone. You got a pair of headsets and the flash phone that's on our promo page as well as the broadcast page on Black Talk Radio Network. That might work better for you. Maybe Skype, you know, is uh, having issues and, and you might have better uh, chance with that. But uh, go ahead, man. You are seem to be coming in okay now. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, nope. <laughs> as soon as he said, can you hear me, he goes back out again. Yeah, try that, bro, and then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then hit star six one and uh that and then that alert me to who is who uh you can also put your name in there and i'll see so so try that man because your skype keep going in, in and out and maybe he, he must have something important to say because the enemy is fighting against us hearing this brother today i'm telling you well let me do the uh california story while you guys work on that Starting this month, California will be granting one-time amnesty for unpaid traffic and non-traffic infraction tickets. The program will go on to March 31st, 2017, and it offers financial relief to many people who need it. Uh, there's, again, the way they put these stories together sometimes is just questionable. It also promises to potentially reinstate many suspended driver's license, and it has these uh, notes. Persons with unpaid tickets whose fines were originally due to be paid dates on or before January 1st, 2013, who have not made a payment after September 30th, 2015, may be eligible to have both their debt reduced by 50 or 80%, depending on income, and their driver's license reinstated, unless an exclusion discussed below applies. Man, they got a lot of exception clauses in there, don't they? Persons who made a payment after September 30th, 2015, on a ticket are not eligible for a reduction for that ticket. So once you've agreed to pay your ticket, even if you just put a down payment, you are in set in stone. You got to pay that. But may be eligible to have their driver's license reinstated if they are in good standing on a payment plan with a comprehensive collection program. Persons with more than one ticket may not be eligible for reduction on an individual ticket if the eligibility criteria are not satisfied for that ticket. Please check with your courts for additional information. The, this amnesty has the potential for affecting many Californians' lives. More than 4 million Californians have lost their driver's license because they weren't able to pay a ticket, according to a report by the Western Center on Law and Poverty. With an array of state and local fees tacked onto fines, tickets for routine traffic infractions in some cases approach $500. Expenses mount for drivers who fall so far behind that their licenses are suspended. This amnesty is not offered up for parking tickets, reckless driving, or DUI-related tickets. Now, I'm going to hold my reaction. Let me see if I can get you or Johanna's reaction to what you're seeing here. Johanna, go ahead and try. I'm going to call that BS, man. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. You can yeah, I'm, ca I'm, call I'm, I'm calling BS on, on, on the...
Yeah, Johan and man, I, I think we need to give up on Sky with you, bro. No sooner than he got started, good. Yeah, it always does that, man. It's something um, with that. Um, so again, I advise you to go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com slash New Abolitionist Radio and uh, pull up that, li- click on that uh, call the show button and try it that way. All right, uh, Sky, what's your uh, opinion you. on this right here? We got BS from Johanan. Uh, I, I second that, and I'm going to be honest with you. Um, y'all know I produce a lot of programs. Wednesday is a very busy time for me, and I am working on getting the stuff together for the show that's coming on after this one. Uh, but from what I read about a pre-show was, you know, again, this is America is Ferguson. I know we'll be talking about uh, what's the other state we'll be talking about today? Montana. Montana is Ferguson, but California is Ferguson. And so, you know, New York City is Ferguson, you know, where they, we know that, you know, they purposely, the police that is, uh, we don't strike to deprive the city of 10 million, uh, uh, was it $10 million a week in revenue from these type of tickets? And, you know, this is epitome of policing for profit. Again, if it, it gives any people a a sizable number of people any kind of relief meaning that they don't have to go pay these tickets and 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 indeed if they truly will be white uh their slate so-called will be white clean uh with a a punch of a couple of keys and whatnot and so i'm sure them people would appreciate it i would appreciate it so again you know i'm i'm glad but are you still going to engage in policing for profit like we talked about on the last program, are you letting out these drug war prisoners? Uh, but are you going to continue to keep arresting them? And and then, no, you're not going to sentence them anymore to 20 years, but you're just going to sentence them to five. You know, so just, it's still going to be that revolving door or that constant flow uh, of open slave trading blocks all day long. You know, so they, it reminds me of that. So you're giving them amnesty now, but you're hoping to catch them in the future. So that's what I think, man. You know, I'm a simple guy. I always say that. And the way I look at this is this is uh, legalized extortion. It's a racketeering system set up in California. And they're giving clues right. in this here article, for instance, saying that there's 4 million Californians who've lost their driver's license. Then they said that the average amount of t- or the tickets go up to as much as $500. So let's just say the 4 million people who lost their licenses are by no means representative of the entire ticketing uh, people who have been ticketed or fined for traffic infractions, right? These are just the people who lost their licenses because they couldn't pay. Let's say that they owed one-fifth of what they said was the extreme of $500. That's $400 million. That's half a billion dollars in extortion money just for that at a conservative perspective. So that tells you what's going on right there. You're talking about a half a billion dollars minimum just from the people who have lost their licenses and their ability to take care of their family uh, and their their selves because they have no way of getting around from place to place. And California is not the place you can walk from point A to point B in. I've lived in California. You need a car in California. Without one, you are truly risking losing everything and that's yeah, again i don't want to minimize any kind of victory no no matter how great or small and this is a victory because maybe you know the right people in california heard us on here talking about putting rico cases on them you know <laughs> on them enslavers so 
Yep. We're taking money out their pocket. That's what we're doing. We're taking money out the slavers' pockets. So these people are going to be eligible for at least one ticket to be forgiven if they have not paid anything on it already by September 30th, 2015. So this is money straight out of their budgets that they normally would have collected and they're uh, not collecting. So it's the extortionist saying, yo, you get a free week and then I'm coming back for my money. Right, right. So again, again, goes to policing. And we have even seen when a prosecutor like um, the brother in um, New York City, I think he in Brooklyn, um, but when he told, you know, the the uh, NYPD uh, precincts that I guess was in his district, um, he told them, stop bringing me all these petty marijuana cases. And Abe was like, we, 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 we doing our jobs. We just going to keep, you know bringing these kids in here or writing up all these summons and clogging up the system you know what i'm saying and so but so again the policeman they have too much power they have too much power anytime a, a police officer as a a representative of the police union you know the right wing they like to talk about smashing units but they sure do suck up and and tolerate these police unions and they stand get to stand in a they have a bully pulpit to sit up there and demonize victims and paint people as animals and deserving of their mistreatment and the whole time these people are are bona fide slave catchers man they bona fide slave catchers they're bona fide extortioners you know they're the muscle they the muscle of the government you know, look at the politicians and those who write these codes and laws and legislation and set policy. You know, those the those the real smooth criminals. But the cops, man, and oftentimes, hey, they the enforcers. So again, you know, there is debatable about whether you have any good cops because if you you may not be out here gunning down people, but you out here writing a whole bunch of summonses, writing a whole bunch of tickets. Um, you know, um just uh continuing on with your uh policing for profit your slave catching so yeah man but again i don't want to minimize any kind it's a long war man yeah yeah we got we got to report uh everything that happens on the battlefield everybody that gets to eat that week because they save money on tickets or gets to pay their rent where they were about to get evicted because now they don't have to pay this ticket everybody that comes free because of these retroactive uh, reforms that they're putting into play, I will celebrate that to no end. But I'm not going to be happy till I see my people free from not only the cages, but the system that puts them in the cages so they don't have to worry about going back again. So that's that's where I'm at on this thing. And, you know, we're showing you how this all ties in together one piece after the other. Uh, earlier we posted about the policing for profit that was going on in Texas so you could see it with your own eyes or what policing for profit is all about. Then we went into the Justice Department and they're freeing potentially close to 50,000 people. Now the Justice Department doesn't work in a vacuum so we also showed you how the California ticketing and fining is also a racketeering uh, organized criminal uh, system that is raping our people and we're showing you how these extortionists are giving us you know, a little bit of a leeway now so they can uh, look good. And now we want to go into another part of this system because it is a system and that is regarding our jail our jail and bail system where people are being sent to sit in these cages sometimes for up to like seven years. I think we reported here on people who have sat waiting for a trial for seven years in jails and they can't get out only because of the 
uh, size of their bank account, and most of them don't have a bank account, which means you just get to sit there making money for these jails, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, whatever it may be for five years, six years, seven years. There's a story that came out. Uh, I'm having some problem. It's kind of frozen on my page. Maybe Scotty, can you help me with this story, brother Scotty, about the jails? I can't seem to scroll in or out of it. It's frozen for me. Uh, give me just uh, give me an opportunity to uh, get back to the planning page, and I will pull yeah, this story up. Yeah, basically, I also want to make note that in the whole world, there's only two nations that use a cash bail system and bails bondsmen, and that is the United States and the Philippines. Every other nation sees bails bondsmen and cash bails as uh, predatory, criminal, immoral unethical and yet here we are practicing it every single day and we also know that based on reports from a uh, a human rights organization that 90% of the people sitting in jails right now waiting for trials are either African American or Hispanic an unreasonable number 90% um I'm I'm man I'm sorry uh we do got a caller I'm just trying to uh well, multi-task behind the scenes. Give me just a moment, Max. I had that story for you. Um, now, which story again is that? It's the jail, the jail, bail and jail, jail until proven guilty. Yes, sir. That that's the one. Okay, I'm frozen up over here. Yeah, BayStateBanner.com dot com is reporting this. The inability to pay can mean weeks in jail awaiting trial. Um, again, Ferguson report. Um, it's just the same pattern and practices in America. Innocent until guilt proven guilty does not mean free from jail until proven guilty. This especially is true for the poor. Thanks to the prevailing cash bail system in this system. Arrestees must temporarily give the court money or be jailed until their trial. Bail price frequently is set with little attention to the individual's ability to pay or whether anything in the individual's background suggests a financial incentive is needed to ensure they appear for their court date. Even a $50 bail may be unattainable to someone homeless, unemployed, or with little income to spare. The results, hundreds of thousands across the nation are routinely subjected to weeks or months of pretrial incarceration solely because of financial status the litmus test of whether the accused are allowed to go home or spend nights in sales away from their family and jobs is the size of their bank account if they have one no one disputes the illegality of this practice says Alec uh, uh, Karakat Sanis a lawyer in Harvard Law School graduate uh, in 2008 who brings suits against what he calls modern day debtors prison so he's taking the same approach that we have been uh, mm-hmm. uh talking about in terms of putting rico cases on these um i, I want to say the bad word but i'm not going to say the bad word but yeah we want to put re- rico charges on these people same strategy um yeah so uh Kara K- Kasanis co-founded Equal Justice Under Law, an organization that brings cases throughout the nation to promote reform or systemic inequalities. Its suits prompted cities in Alabama, Missouri, Mississippi, and Louisiana to eliminate secured money bail for first-time arrestees. Uh, <clears throat> Kara Kasanis spoke at HLS last week on two panels about his work combating mass incarceration and entrenched injustices in the criminal system. The panels were part of a Laureen 
Laura Reen for Social Justice uh, Discussion Series sponsored by several HLS organizations, and I guess that's Harvard Law School uh, organizations. So you can read the rest of this. Uh, um, uh, it's pro- it's, um, it's on the new abolitionist radio page. Okay, that's on Facebook. All right. Right. There were some things that he said in there that uh, are profound. Uh, one yeah. being, no one disputes the illegalities of this. No one disputes it. So if it's undisputed that it's illegal. Then where are the I, criminal charges to it, it? I mean, he's doing what he can to bring civil charges, but there's from them civil uh, cases, we could obtain enough records or evidence from them to then, you know, put pressure on for criminal charges. But right. uh, you know what I'm saying? But uh, again, I mean, civil penalties, it does bring relief, some kind, sometimes monetary awards or whatnot. But again, that's why we need a band of lawyers to band together to put RICO charges on these, you know what. So we do got a phone call, been hanging on for a while, area code 913. Uh, you're on New Abolitionist Radio with Max and Scotty. Uh, who do we have on the line? Go ahead with your question comment. <clears throat> Excuse me, gentlemen, if I might interrupt. <laughs> he, he did like me. He took the back door. That's what I had to do like a couple months you ago. You got to do it sometimes, man. Sometimes you got to do what what they say. Uh, what they say in the story of the Bible about they had to take the brother up on the blanket and put him down through the roof. That's right. To get That's the word right. in. So <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm glad your voice Most is here, brother. Most definitely, what uh, what Scotty just hit on, or what y'all just hit on, Max, what you just hit on, what the the main thing stands out to me is, is they saying it's illegal. I mean, you, there's, there's no more story. That's the end of the story. This is illegal. And even when they just drew it back a little bit, they said that the suits that they already put out prompted cities in Alabama, Missouri, Mississippi, and Louisiana to eliminate secured money bail for first time arrestees. So even though they know it's illegal. And even though it's becoming higher profile and, and more controversial to continue to do this, their decision is still a choice to just scale it back on first-time arrestees because we could still easily get away with demonizing anybody that's been arrested more than once. I mean, surely they, hell, they might just, just deserve to die. I mean, we got the public believing that any kind of inhumane treatment is okay. Yeah, man, this bail thing is just so out of hand. Again, showing the different compartments of this complex system and how they all play together. You know, you get arrested and your license gets uh, suspended. You're no longer able to work. Sometimes you're forced into things that are deemed illegal in order to support your family. You're sent to a prison or a jail. Uh, before you get a trial, you sit in the jail because you can't afford to pay the bail anymore now because, you remember, you were put into poverty by a simple thing like your license being taken away. So mm-hmm. now you're waiting six months in jail or six years in jail, whatever it may be. In the meantime, somebody's clocking dollars on you being there every moment of every day. And then if you do get the opportunity to pay this bail, uh, there's money that you'd never get back because the bail bondsmen are just predators. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. A rich man can yeah. put up his $50,000, but a poor man has to pay somebody else $5,000 for the $50,000 that they put up for him. Well, it said in the story also, another thing that stood out to me, <clears throat> that, I, I mean, I, I just struggle to understand how people can even... Form they lips to argue with the facts. 
to the incarceration, like, you know, uh, pretrial bail incarceration lasts 14 weeks or more. They said in Middlesex County, the average amount of, of time of pretrial detainees was held was 118.64 days in 2014, according to a report issued by the National Institute of Corrections. In Massachusetts Correctional, Correctional Institution at Framingham, detainees averaged 100 days in a waiting trial in an awaiting trial unit between uh, 2012 and 2014. So just like you said, your life is done, and you ain't been found guilty of anything. Right, you didn't lost any a, job. You didn't lost any employment you may have had or yeah. any chances for employment. And so, yeah, man, and that's like six months, six months. You know, again, yeah. they, they and and long, and you just keep that flow constantly going, cycling them through there. You, the police doing their job, fishing in the pond. You know, writing ticket, what, whatever. And and yeah, and then who else? And, and there's this whole bunch of people. They may that jail may be contracted out to a private corporation to provide the food. Another one to provide the crappy medical right. services, and everybody's getting paid, and you're creating so-called jobs, but jobs. You know, in the industry of of slavery, you know, the, 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 then yeah. add to what you just said, like you were talking about with all the jobs it provides and the money that goes out or what have you. But add to what you just said with all of that. What we have reported on this program for the last since we found out the information, at least the last year, what is it? Ninety seven percent of federal cases going to plea plea bargain. And ninety four yeah, ninety-four percent state going to police. How the okay? You got prosecutors that are able to, without any shame. It's like that's their job is to stack charges. You're not going to get more than a handful out of the entire nation of prosecutors, local, state, municipal, whatever, counties, whoever gets a chance to take a stab at you. After you see them lights in your rearview mirror, the next person you see is cut is going to decide your fate is not getting ready to do anything other than stack them charges up on you. So once you get those charges stacked against you, and then you're sitting in pre-trial hearing for six months and steadily watching your life fade away, do you think that is more likely to have a person believing in their constitutional right to a fair trial before a jury of their peers and a blah, 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 constitution, constitution, whatever, whatever? Or do you think that's going to have a person that's been that's been softened up and tenderized, probably been abused some kind of way by the system, whether it's by the guards who admit to 60% of the rapes, whether it's been by some gang jumped them or something because the guards are running the gangs in the jail, whether they've been deprived of their medication. as hundreds of people dying in custody year in, year out, state to state to state, because they're not getting medication. They're not getting any kind of medical care. So all these different things going on in your life, you could just be being denied your pills that you need to stay to stay alive. Six months later, they say, okay, I'm going to try you for this, 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 and this, even though whatever, you got to stop for that. That ain't, doesn't even matter. I'm going to put all this against you when you go in front of that jury. They're going to convict you of most of this. So you're looking at 30 years. Now, you've already been in here six months. Why don't you just take this plea so I can get a guilty verdict against you and just do three years right quick. You'll be out. Why would you think any, I mean, how many people out of 100 do you think are going to say, no, nah, I'd rather just go ahead and go to trial? Six mm-hmm. months into being abused and deprived and terrorized and broken down, how many people out of 100 do you honestly think are going to say, see, I'm going to depend yeah. on the Constitution 
to defend me. Yeah, and, and yeah, they are. They're looking at what's happening in that jury box. And that's why I appreciate the jury nullification movement, although, you know, it, it's, it's, it hasn't gotten a lot of national attention, maybe here and there, you know, over the years. You might have uh, heard about it on corporate media, but um, there is a, a um, jury nullification uh, activist or movement that is going on. And so if I'm one of those people that's being threatened with all that time and I'm looking at, well, Man, these people don't give nothing about my care nothing about my life because my black life don't matter, or my Hispanic mm. life don't matter, or my poor white trash ass don't matter. You know what I'm saying? And they gonna convict me. They gonna automatically believe this lying prosecutor, or did this cop gonna come up here and put it and swear on the Bible that he telling the truth when he know he lying? And so I ain't trying <laughs> to go through all that. So just give me the three years. Well, yeah. Man, that's on everybody, man, and that's on us. Is so called the the people who 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 live our lives by the book. You know what I'm saying? You know because to get called to to uh, sit on a jury where a lot of discrimination goes on, you can't have been you know caught up in human trafficking and slavery at any time because felons are denied that that ability to serve on a jury because you know their punishment is a lifetime even though the constitution like Johannes said blah 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 you know cause such lifetime punishments like cruel and unusual punishments so yeah man um, I understand why these people but that take those plea deals but think of it this way somebody you know whether it's in the jury box or whether it's the people that's facing these petty crimes you're going to just have to say no I'll go ahead and take it to trial. Then it get to the point to where they have to let you know. I'm not going to say they have to let you go, but they'll have the system so backed up. It might be five years, 10 years to your trial. And then by the end, they done lost whatever evidence or the the cop then got, you know, disbarred for raping some or, or having sex with a minor or whatnot. And then he can't testify against you. So anything can happen and your case can go away. You know, we got to clog up the system any way we can, whether it's from the jury box or, you know, it's easy for me to say stop taking pleas when I ain't the one staring down 50 years. Yeah, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? But, you know, at, at one point, man, we got to just all say, you know what? I'm just not going to go along with the program. Once you get caught in that system, Scotty, it uh, it takes a lot more courage than can easily be. Oh, I've been in, in the system. I've been that. in the system. You know what I'm saying? I, they just ain't never got a conviction on me. I've been one of the lucky ones able to prove my innocence or, or whatever. And so, yeah, I've been in and say, oh, don't think they didn't, they have not tried to get me. Uh, but I just been one of those lucky ones, you For know. For me, uh, uh, the sister that was out there that fired the warning shot, what was her name? Um, this, you know, the sister that faced 60 years in prison firing a warning shot because she was... Oh, Melissa Alexander. Melissa Alexander is a good example of how bad this system is. So she really was a victim in it, in it all during a time when they had to stand your ground discussion going on because of people being killed under it. And here she did something very similar. But through plea bargains, she almost spent her life in prison and then had to settle for uh, something that she shouldn't have settled for and never should have been involved in. Well, she out now due to activists and, and Indeed. abolitionists. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about Loretta Lynch. I think I formed my opinion on her. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed, Johanna Nalaya, and Max Parthas. We'll be right back after these messages. 
And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. As we do every week, we try to put all the links together so you can see a whole chain week after week after week with different links. And usually they represent a lot of the same things. This week, uh, we're going to finish off our stories with the top cop in the nation, uh, Loretta Lynch. And uh, what she recently made some statements as regard to uh, police in uh, counties and cities counting the number of people that they've killed and shot. You know, it's very difficult to get this information together. And when we do get information, it's usually from outside sources like the organization Killed by Police. It's a damn shame that a Facebook page group can have a better record of who's being killed in local police uh, station or by local police than the police or the government themselves. It really is a shame. In any case, uh, Johanna, are you there? Would you like to take this Loretta Lynch story? I'm here. I'm here. I'll yeah. I'll break it out. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is another one, man. It's, it's like I really hate to to sound like just being you know negative Nancy on stuff or whatever, but it's like we tried to report on this woman before she was it actually before she was really even confirmed, just to show like her history and how she's been real cop friendly. And uh, herself, like Eric Holder and uh, some of the others that have worked on various staffs with him, you know, when it comes to police pro- uh, prosecution for crimes that they've committed against citizens, never get any kind of results, never really, you know, trying to do anything. So this is not a, a huge shock that, that this has happened with her. Um, just a, another disappointment. Um, I, I mean, I really don't know what would make her declare such a thing that the people don't need the reports we ain't had the damn reports first of all so i mean if it hadn't been for the, the work of grassroots efforts um malcolm x grassroots movement being one i could think of uh was a cop watch uh cop block with filming cops all these different type of grassroots efforts that have popped up over the years to start uh, recording these murders i don't know we still wouldn't have all the numbers so uh this is from the guardian uh, Loretta, uh, Loretta Lynch, the government shouldn't require reports of... <laughs> that's just a ridiculous title. I'm sorry. The government shouldn't require reports of people killed by police. I don't understand that. But anyway, Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch says the federal government should not require police to report fatal shootings of civilians. Sharply diverging from her predecessor, Eric Holder's stance on police killings. Now, Eric Holder just left on his own, so to speak. They didn't get him out or do whatever. It wasn't the end of his term or any of that. He said all this that he said after uh, Ferguson and then decided he was time for him to, to step down. And so they bring this woman in and she immediately reverses the little bit that he was able to even bring to pass. So uh, in a conversation with NBC journalist Chuck Todd on a range of criminal justice issues, Lynch said on Thursday that she does not support a federal mandate to report people killed by police. How in the hell could you even think something like that? Why would you not? 
<laughs> I'm sorry. One of the things we are focusing on as the Department of Justice is not trying to reach down from Washington and dictate to every local department how they should handle the minutia of record keeping. Damn. Extrajudicial murder of innocent, unarmed citizens is minutia for the federal government to be concerned about? They sure do love the minutia of collecting your damn taxes, don't they? I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to finish the story. She said at the Washington Ideas Forum hosted by Atlantic Live and the Aspen Institute, Lynch said the Justice Department does encourage local departments to maintain records on police shootings, but that improving police-community relations is more important. Uh, all right. She noted that the small size of the average police department could make record-keeping difficult. The statistics are important, but the real issues are what steps are we all taking to connect communities with the police and back with government, she said. Todd Presslich to comment on the lack of data, citing the counted the Guardian's project, the, the Guardian did a damn report, uh, to track all deaths by police in 2015 is the best source for fatal interactions with police. I'm not going to comment on news organizations keeping numbers, Lynch said in response. I think they do a pretty good job sometimes. Lynch's statement show a sharp contrast from her predecessor's position on tracking police violence. Holder, the former attorney general who left office in April, has called the lack of official data unacceptable. Before leaving office, he called his collection the first step toward improving police community relations. I've heard from a number of people who have called on policymakers to ensure better record keeping on injuries and deaths that occur at the hands of police. I've also spoken with law enforcement leaders, including the leadership of the Fraternal Order of Police, who have urged elected officials to consider strategies for collecting better data on officer fatalities, Holder said in January. Today, my response with these legitimate concerns is simple. We need to do both. He just said that in January. We didn't even finish the damn year before these... They just throwing that away. Spokesperson for the Department of Justice told The Guardian in a statement Friday that Lynch encouraged police to maintain records regarding police-civilian interactions. The spokesperson, Melanie Newman, also noted that the department requires such record-keeping when it enters into consent decrees with local agencies. So, uh, other words, after you done killed so many damn people, tore so much shit up, then did so much dirt to the people for so many decades, that you finally get a Ferguson report, you finally get a Cincinnati report, you finally get a Detroit report, you finally get a Miami report, you finally get a Boston report, and the report comes back so foul, so corrupt. But, the, but these reports so, been coming out. I've read reports like a Ferguson report on the city of, yeah. of Philadelphia police back in the 70s, back yeah. when Mamiya was still in the street. So these consent decrees have been going on for decades, and they have never led to any justice or accountability. Exactly. That's the whole point. Like, so you, you're saying, the, the spokesperson said specifically that the department requires this kind of record keeping when it enters into the consent decrees. So, just like you said, that's been going on for, for all of my life. <laughs> Man, I, enough. Y'all can read the rest of the link. I mean, unless one of y'all want to finish reading it, but I mean, damn, I can only let so much shit come out of my mouth. I can't just sit here and keep reading this foolishness. Well, How are these people even doing this? When I did the interview with Jaws of Justice and Keith Brown L., he asked me what my opinion of Loretta Lynch at the time was, and I couldn't give him an opinion. I only knew that at that time that she was against the legalization of marijuana, and for me, that was enough to say a lot 
about who she was as the attorney general and what she was about. But now that I've seen these things unfold, I do have an opinion. At every turn, Loretta Lynch has shown herself to be the equivalent of David Clark with a maternal attitude. She is killing us softly against the legalization of marijuana, calling the Charleston massacre a hate crime instead of a terrorist attack, and the planned assassination of a state senator by domestic enemies, now saying the feds don't give a damn who you kill or why as long as you do it gently, or should we say professionally, because that's the word she uses often. If the federal government represents the cumulative power, influence, and strength of we, the people of these United States, democratically exercised as the will of the people, then we, the people, are punk asses, letting anything go down as long as your badge is shiny and your dues are up to date. You know, we recently did Mississippi is America, uh, is uh, Ferguson in our America is Ferguson series on New Abolitionist Radio, and we discussed the level of corruption involved in the entire state and suggested the National Guard be called upon in defense of the innocent, oppressed, and historically victimized citizens of that state who are being unjustly persecuted and exploited as we speak. If you don't know, just follow these three words on a Google search until you think you've heard enough. Commissioner Christopher Epps. And if you really want a better perspective, go to thenewwordorder.com and check out the I Denounce This So-Called Emancipation as a Stupendous Fraud series, and you'll find out even more. Lorena Lynch is not our friend. She is a par- major part of the problem right now. I mean, she makes uh, Holder looks good in my eyes. Yeah, man, this is supremely disappointing. So fast. It's like we don't have time. This is, this is, this is like, like when you meet somebody new you go date, say. And you immediately see these signs of things that didn't work with the other people you've left. So you're not going to just get in bed with them even further. You're going to see signs of things that didn't work in the past, things you couldn't tolerate, things that left you hanging and left you in a bad situation, and you're going to dismiss that person. You're not going to deal with them because you know what's going to happen. How is this any different? When we see this woman ain't even been in office a year. Now, contrast with Obama, for example. When President Obama got elected, his entire first term was a, was a series of rebuttals to any kind of request or question, concern, uh, idea about how to help the poor, how to help the underrepresented, how to help those in mass incarceration, modern-day slavery, how to help the sick, how to help any person that raised their hand other than, I mean, to be quite honest, other than the LGBT, all of these people were told, well, he just got in. He hasn't had time yet. You give him more time. We got to work with him to try to make sure all Congress is done. All this is what we heard for four straight years. Then the next four years comes. A couple more years pass. Oh no, he can't do anything because this, 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 and this. This woman, the ink ain't even dry on her damn contract. She is immediately taking steps, like Max said, the the terrorist attack on the church in South Carolina. Oh, that was a hate crime. We're going to just uh, prosecute from that angle. That was terrorism. Nope, can't get that out of her. You see what she's doing now, saying that the feds don't have anything to do with the police reporting how many people they're killing. That's considered to be minutia, in her words. She's just getting started. How don't we have the power to immediately recall her? Just straight up, right? Now, you know what? Never mind. We don't want you. Get out. Get out. Get out. I wish. I wish, dude. Um, 
You know, I really want to get in ankle deep with her right now, but we're on a limited time and we're running a little late. So I want to get into our regularly scheduled events as well uh, to make sure we have room for that. But I just want to say that uh, Loretta Lynch is not our friend. She's not on our side. She is making matters worse right now. And there's a lot of dead people out there. No matter how many you think you know are out there, the numbers that are popping up, 700, 800, 900, 1100, it's more than that. And I want to give a shout out to uh, the Spirit House Project and Ruby Sales, who, from what I understand, are putting together a list now of people killed that include not only the police, but the prison guards and other law enforcement agents like ICE who are also stacking up bodies on top of each other and to try to put together a correct uh, or close number to just how many people are dying at the hands of law officers. And we want to know. It's important that we know how many people you killed, what color they are, where they came from, what's their religion, what's their economic status. We want to know it all. That's minutia, Max. All right. Well, we're going to get into (laughs) We're going to get into this next segment, man. And this next segment is, uh, uh, here, let me post something here before I put this on. But yeah, this next segment is becoming something that we've seen trends unfold that are just simply amazing. And today's example is no different at all. Every week, uh, we do the America is Ferguson series based on the DOJ report. And instead of investigating a city, although we've done that a few times, We focus on the entire state and its relationship with prison for profit, uh, oppression through ticketings, uh, uh, institutional racism, Department of Justice budgets, and all of that. And this uh, week's, we're going to concentrate on Montana. So tonight here, you're going to hear that Montana is Ferguson. So shall I start, guys, or do you want have anything else? Yeah, we might as well keep rolling. All right. A state population that is 90% white and 0.06% black. If you've been following this series, you know that this is how this is going to look. Like somebody is hunting black people and throwing them in cages in these unbelievable unequal numbers. And today we want to show you that Montana is Ferguson. People, quick facts. Population, 2014, 1,023,579 people. So... Montana doesn't have a lot of people, relatively speaking. It's kind of like Vermont, just a little bit bigger. Of that population, whites are a whopping 89.4%. Let's just say 90% of the population is white. Uh, 0.06 is black. 6.6% is American Indian. And 3.5% is Hispanic. So blacks represent the smallest number in the population there in uh, Montana. Business quick facts. Total number of business firms as of 2007 was 115,000. Of those, black-owned firms represented 0.2%. Now, considering they're only 0.6% of of the population, that's actually pretty good. That's uh, saying 20% of the black people in that state own businesses. Uh, American Indians and Alaska Natives owned 2.2%, Hispanics own 1%, and women own 24.6%. Again, the trend is showing right there. Overview of correctional system. The jail system. Montana has 56 counties, according to the latest jail sentence, sentence 
or census rather, taken in 2006. Every time I think that the only information we have traces back to 2006, it gets me a little tongue-tied. There are 40 jail facilities and 1,957 inmates. Montana has no established jail standards. There's no standards for jails at all. You could have them in a cardboard box wrapped with uh, you know, a barbed wire, and that would be just fine. The prison system. As of December 31st, 2013, the Montana prison population was 3,642. The Montana Department of Corrections has six state-run facilities and a fiscal year 2012 budget of $177.4 million. That's a lot of money. The Community Corrections System. The Department of Corrections Probation and Parole Bureau supervised 8,400 probationers and parolees at the end of fiscal year 2013. The Bureau has approximately 140 officers in 23 field, 8 offices, and 8 offices in institutions across the state. The average daily cost of supervising an offender on probation or parole is $4.62. Department of Corrections staff and population. Total department active personnel, personnel is 1,309. Total number of adult institutions is 5. Total incarcerated under DOC jurisdiction, 5,640, and 8,169 parolees. The average length of stay for males is 23.4 months. The average length of stay for females is 18 months. The average age of inmates is 39 years old. The crime rate in Montana as of 2013 is 8% lower than the national average rate. Property crimes account for about 91% of the crime rate in Montana, which is about 5% lower than the national rate. The remaining 9% are violent crimes and are about 28% lower than other states. Montana has a rate 10% lower than the national average of incarceration in prisons, adults per 100,000. They also have a rate about 28% lower than the national average number of probationers per 100,000. And further, they have a rate of about 52% lower than the national average number of parolees per 100,000. Now, this is all pretty good sounding for a small state like Montana until you start understanding who is actually going to their prisons. Now, one little more piece of information regarding what things cost. Taxpayers in Montana paid about 6% lower than other states per inmate in 2012. They paid 30227 per body per year versus 32142 on a national average. According to the Justice Policy Report, taxpayers in Montana pays $175,000 $810 to incarcerate one teenager for one year. So for every youth that goes into your for-profit prisons there, it's $180,000 basically. Prison and jail incarceration rates, 2005 and jail incarceration rates, rate of incarceration per 100,000 population. Now remember, 0.6% of the population is black, 90% is white. So, whites represent 433, Blacks are 3,569. Hispanics are 846. I was unable to find any numbers regarding Native Americans. The black to white ratio in Montana is 8.2. So a state that is 90% white and 6% black is incarcerating over 8 black people for every one white person. Montana is Ferguson. Now, 
those are the stats. I'm going to provide you with stories, as I usually do, on the new abolitionist radio page. But Montana is deeply involved with for-profit private prisons. And I want to read a couple of the story headlines to you. One, Hardin, a Montana town that once offered to take in suspected terrorists from Guantanamo Bay, out of desperation to fill an empty $27 million jail, has finally started to fill its cells with American Indian inmates from across the northern plains. Human trafficking. The Two Rivers Regional Detention Facility in Hardin was built in 2007 on hopes it would boost an economically depressed area. Now, this is why they built a damn prison in hopes it would boost an economically depressed area of southeast Montana bordering the Crow Indian Reservation. But it suffered a series of failures after Montana prison officials said the jail wouldn't suit their needs. Hardin officials in 2009 sought unsuccessfully to take in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba detainees. They later partnered with a California con man, Michael Hilton, who promised to turn the jail into a paramilitary training site until his criminal background was revealed by the Associated Press and other news organizations. Now local officials said they had at last found a legitimate and reliable operator for the 464-bed jail in Emerald Correctional Management, a Louisiana-based private corrections company. Warden Ken Keller says Two Rivers has taken in almost 60 inmates in recent weeks from American Indian reservations in Montana, Wyoming, and North Dakota. Most are serving time for alcohol or drug crimes and must go through an intensive rehabilitation process in Hardin, Keller said. So they're dealing with these private prisons and they're housing blacks and Native Americans for profit. They're admitting it, like literally, behind Montana jail fiasco, how private prison developers prey on the desperate and poor. Uh, Montana's Governor Ball receives thousands from the largest prison for profit industry, CCA, in a ball that they put on. And also how Montana was uh, exploring purchasing private prisons in Shelby. And uh, further on, prisoners should not be profit centers and Montana's privatized prison under review. All of these things are happening right now in racist Montana, where eight uh, blacks are arrested for every one white when they only represent 0.6% of the state's population. There you have it, fellas. Montana's Ferguson. Well, thank you, Max, as, uh, as always. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm really just kind of like without words to show gratitude for the, the depth of investigation that you do in this series. I mean, we're all taxed kind of in our own individual ways and still try to come together to put the program together. And I think we all get, uh, you know, like an instant reward among ourselves, kind of like just seeing that, you know, once again, that word was able to be put out there, you know, against all odds, kind of. I mean, Scotty got his hands full. I'm everywhere, you everywhere. So it's like just the fact that you get this out week in, week out, this is really like a higher level for this program that has gone to just to have this kind of depth of reporting on a consistent series like this. So thank you for that. As far as the facts of what you just revealed to us, I mean, I, I, I cannot uh, beat around the bush on, on what we just heard and what we hear every single week. And that puts me in a situation 
that it's not what I want to have to say. It's not what I want to have to believe. But this is what we use to prove the fact that white supremacy is alive and well and thriving in this country and therefore in the world because America's leading the world. But you can't tell me that we post racist. You cannot tell me that other groups and other races of people can be so-called racist. There is only white supremacy. When you can have a state, and, and when you named off that 0.02% of business, black, of, uh, black business owners, honestly, a number like that is really a plus or minus, like a false positive. So it's very likely there, there could be from zero to five and you would still get a point oh two number just as a matter of doing calculative sciences like that. So I, I don't know what the hell is going on there other than straight-up racism, white supremacy, and modern-day slavery. How do you have that few number of black people, period, even in the damn state? Why would they be there? And you got thousands of them in the jail? And we've seen this state after state after state. Other people cannot be racist. You can have people that are bigoted. You can have people that are prejudiced, that have ideas, preconceived ideas about other races, but racism is an institutionalized effort. And this is clear, plain evidence of institutionalized. It's literally a prison institution. I, I, I'm just, I can't even believe what you just read to us, what you just told us, man. Damn. Hey, um, I mean, I can believe it because as you stated, you know, program at the program, you guys put in research, we all put in research, bring something to the table, and we lay it out there. And these are facts, and Max is, and, or Johanan is sharing, you know, uh, the research that we have gathered from the news reports or, or any of these uh, so-called experts in these fields, and, and we post that. So it's not like we making these things up, you know. I think I think the biggest thing we have to um in terms of breaking through a programmed psyche that's been hit with all this propaganda to believe that slavery was abolished when in fact it was only amended is terminology. Yeah, again, people were, you know, right-meaning people, many of them aren't intending to engage in propaganda, but it sounds nice, it sounds modern, and they're calling it mass incarceration, or they're calling it policing for profit, or they're calling it anything but what it is, and it is slavery in human trafficking in a legalized codified form, okay? And, and so once we can break through that that um, terminology uses correct word usage is you know what Neely Fuller Jr. Uh, noted counter racist has has always taught is that you know word usage means everything you know the words that you use should accurately describe the problem you know uh, on I noticed Gus uh, the host of context of white supremacy he tries to get his callers out of the habit of using metaphors no break it don't use metaphor like Max say you know Max, Max say you know let's stop you reform you know what I'm saying no 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 we want to abolish you know don't don't bring that reform metaphor um, you know uh, to the table we talk we want to use accurate language we're talking about abolishing all right, abolishing slavery. Uh, but there is some breaking news going back to uh, uh, the earlier story that was reported about uh, Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch's ridiculous comments about uh, 
uh, police departments, some of these small police departments can't keep track of how many people they killing. I mean, if they doing that much killing, then just imagine the reports we're not getting. You know, if you got a department of, of only 50 people and, and, you know, let's say that they kill one person a year. You know, I live, I live in between two small town police departments and I have to tell, be honest with you, I can't recall any news reports of, of them killing anyone. And these are departments with less than 50 people. And so that what, that what she's saying is ridiculous and it's a total reversal of what Eric Holder, everything that Max said and whatnot. But listen, California just, we just got through talking about them, you know, giving this amnesty. Okay, California just created a new law designed to guard people of color against racial profiling at the hands of police officers, uh, writes News 1. Every time an officer stops a person, an incident must be reported to the California Attorney General. After the report, the Attorney General will determine the next steps. To gather information of each report will be made public, but will not identify the citizen or the officer in the arrest or stop. And uh, they give a link to the mandatory requirements. So I'll, I'll share that uh, on New Abolitionist Radio's uh, Facebook page. So um, uh, what's going on there? Why are they doing that? They are not just doing this out of goodness of, of their hearts. Uh, this is a result of a lot of pressure that has been brought to bear on these people. Um, and so, you know, we just got to continue to fight, continue to, to push. You know, they they are retreating. They are retreating um, and giving up ground. So we just got to keep, you know, moving the front lines further and further, you know, uh, into their territory. So that's how I tend to look at it. Uh, does this right. end slavery? Is this going to stop racism and white supremacy? No, but it's going to make it, it's going to codify it to where it is illegal. You know, they're kind of digging their own grave because every time they give us one of these concessions, it's an admission to guilt. It is wrong and has been wrong. Right, so right. We need to fix it. So really, you just keep showing us layers and layers of emissions of guilt from presidents admitting it to now, you know, California changing the laws regarding racial profiling because it's wrong. And there's people who have paid the ultimate price for them being wrong. Well, let me throw this in there since I did just get an update um, brought to my attention about Loretta Lynch, her comment. She did recant uh, actually just uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. So I did. I missed this uh, story myself, and we've been studying this stuff all week. But apparently she did take back because she knew how ridiculous that sounded. Says uh, Loretta uh, Lynch's new quote is, police shootings are in, are in fact not minutiae. Um, so she she had to, somebody pulled her coat on that one. Soon as yeah, I definitely I blasted her on Black Talk Radio News on I think it was yesterday or either Monday, but I certainly you know and you picked up on it too. How you gonna call yeah. extrajudicial murders minutia? And it's well, not that yeah. hard to keep records. I mean, she if you retracted her words, but she didn't retract what she thinks. And exactly, she, she, she doesn't thinks. retract. Yeah, she just like Max said, she just retracting the verbiage. That's it. Right. Like uh, the sheriff here in Columbia said once regarding a young black man who was killed, he was collateral damage. And that's how they look at us. We're just collateral damage. Numbers. And w the police shouldn't be concerned with numbers so much when they've got to actually be out there preventing crime. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, they prevent it so well that they prevent it before it even happens now with uh, predictive processing. Right, right. Serving serve warrants in neighborhoods where crime has traditionally been found in individuals that have been arrested before. Yeah, man, we reported on that too, Pre, pre-crime. We are, we, we're finished with our America is Ferguson series for this week. Make sure you share the episode with others so they're aware of it. And when we're all done, we'll publish them all together in one document so anybody can use that research. And uh, I think we need to go on to our next segment, which will be our uh, rider of yeah, the 20th break. century underground railroad. Oh, break. Yes, we're five minutes over. There you have it. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, where we go five minutes over before we do our breaks. We'll be right back after this. <laughs> trouble on my mind refuse to lose here's your ticket hear the drama get wicked searching for the best in online black radio then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com helping you filter through the noise real talk black talk have you thought about getting into podcasting but don't know where to start have something to say to the world but don't know how. The popularity of podcasts and internet radio streaming continues to grow with millions of people on the planet gaining internet connectivity through a multitude of devices. In the current media age, people can browse internet radio stations or listen to podcasts right from the dashboard of their cars. There are few barriers to anyone who wants to produce internet-based media. To encourage media production for black people by black people, if you are an independent black media producer or want to become one, the nonprofit Black Talk Media Project is offering unlimited and unmetered podcast hosting services below industry pricing. Need more information about the industry and the technology? Find out how to create internet-based radio broadcasts and or podcasts at www.knowledgebase.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Again, that's www.knowledgebase.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our next segment for the evening will be our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. Just like uh, the abolitionists before us, we are finding ways to get people free, whether it is through them taking the law into their own hands, literally, like Brother Darrell Padgett and others has done, or to groups like the Innocence Project uh, or others who are helping to get these people free, they are getting free. And we like to uh, celebrate that freedom one way or another. And sometimes they are horrible, terrible stories of how they became incarcerated to begin with. And today's story is no less than any other uh, regarding Eric Kane, 24, and uh, Aaron Patterson, 25, of Illinois. Brother Johanan, you want this one? 
Yeah, sure. Might as well go ahead and dip on in there one more good time before we get done. This craziness again. This is uh, Chicago. So um, this ties in directly to all of the stories that we've told from the Chicago area over the years. Uh, the, the, the John Burge rogue cop uh, society and beating confessions out of people, brothers like Mark Clemens getting out, the reparations movement that they've established, supposedly giving people up to $5 million out of a pool for all of these victims. These are the stories that are a part of it. Uh, Eric Kane, 24, and Aaron Patterson, 25, were tried together in 1989 and convicted by separate juries of stabbing an elderly couple to death on the south side of Chicago. The mutilated bodies of the victims, Vincent Sanchez, 73, and his wife, Rafaela, 62, were found in their home on April 19, 1986. Kane and Patterson were arrested 11 days later, and after a 15-year-old girl claimed that Patterson had admitted the murders and a neighbor claimed to have seen Kane across the street from the Sanchez home around the time of the crime. Detectives who were proven to have routinely tortured African-American criminal suspects, that would be John Burge and others in his, in his uh, police department, Chicago, home of Holman Square, there still is not nothing's come of people finding they got a damn black site, so this is Chicago. Uh, detectives who were proven to have routinely tortured African-American criminal suspects promptly obtained the confessions from both men. I wonder how. Before the joint trial, Kane and Patterson moved to dismiss the confessions on the grounds that they had been tortured. Kane testified that a detective told him that Patterson, the son, himself the son of a Chicago police officer, already had confessed that he and Kane had gone to the Sanchez home intent on finding weapons. When the couple would not give up the weapons, Patterson began stabbing them, and then Kane ran. When he refused to go along with Patterson's story, though, Kane testified that he was beaten and taken to go see Patterson, who himself had been beaten so badly that he could barely speak. Kane went ahead and signed a confession after seeing that. Patterson was given a written statement to read and left alone chained to a hoop on the wall of an interrogation room. With a paper clip, he scratched a message onto a metal bench. The message said, Police threatened me with violence, slapped, and suffocated me with plastic. No lawyer or dad. I signed a false statement to these murders. He scratched that into a metal bench with a paper clip. Judge John Morrison denied the motion to suppress the confessions, and the defendant's separate juries found both guilty. Patterson was sentenced to death and came to life in prison. This is the son of a cop. This is what they're doing to the son of a cop. Kane and Patterson lost various appeals until 2000, when the Illinois Supreme Court belatedly recognized in Patterson's case that so-called substantial new evidence supports defendants' claim that his confession was the result of police brutality. In order to have evidentiary hearing on Patterson's torture allegations, at that point, the young woman, who at age 15 had implicated Patterson in the murders, admitted that she had lied to protect her cousin, who was, who was an alternative suspect in the same case. Anyway, Patterson's attorney, G. Flint Taylor Jr., filed a petition seeking a gubernatorial pardon based on innocence which Governor George H. Ryan granted in January 10, 2003, freeing Patterson. In 2007, a federal civil rights uh, suit brought against the police by Patterson was settled for $5 million. Kane, however, was not pardoned because he 
only received a life sentence. In 2009, the Exoneration Project at the University of Chicago School of Law filed an amended petition for post-conviction relief, asserting that Kane's confession was coerced in introducing new evidence of misconduct by the officers who interrogated him. The petition also introduced new evidence identifying the true perpetrators. On March 16, 2011, 25 years after his conviction, the state of Illinois dismissed all charges against Kane and the Cook County Circuit Court Judge William J., uh, Judge William Hooks ordered his release. Kane was released the following day, the same day that former Chicago Police Lieutenant John Burge, who had led the police unit that tortured Patterson, Kane, and many others, entered prison after being found guilty of perjury and obstruction of justice related to the torture of criminal suspects. In July 2013, Kane settled a federal lawsuit against the Chicago Police Department for $10 million. Salute to you, brother. You made it out. Both of you brothers made it out. 25 years wrongfully incarcerated. Salute. Salute from New Abolitionist Radio to these brothers. Uh, Welcome to freedom. Glad you got it. For real, for real. Oh, man. The things they did to these children. He had to scratch into the bench, a metal bench, with a paper clip yeah. to let people know that he had been forced into a confession. Straight out of a straight, straight up out of a horror movie, man. Straight out of a horror movie. But he's free. And these are the things innocent people are going through every day in the United States of America through our prison system and our justice system. And you should be aware of that. But this isn't new. Uh, we also recognize our elders and those who have come to us and set the stage for us to fight this battle we're fighting today. And we'd like to uh, put one of them in profile today. And our abolitionist in profile will be Sarah Parker Ramon from 1824 to 1894. Born in 1824, Sarah Parker Ramon entered the world as a part of an exceptional family, the ninth child of two freeborn and economically secure black parents. Her life was unusual among African Americans. It was unimaginable in the minds of most white Americans. Before her death, Sarah carried her family legacy well beyond the shores of her native land. With financial security rooted primarily in food catering and hair salons, the men and women of the Ramon clan actively supported anti-slavery and equal rights for all. After honing her skills lecturing against slavery in the Northeast and Canada, Sarah expanded her reach across the ocean. In January 1859, Sarah Parker Ramon delivered her first lecture in Liverpool, England gradually incorporating Ireland and Scotland into her itinerary. With the approach of the Civil War, Ramon urged Europeans to lend their support to the North and the poor enslaved blacks of the South. During this time, she also decided against returning to the United States. By 1868, Sarah Parker Ramon 
had settled in Italy and completed some form of medical training. Although subsequent records of her life remain scarce, one of the last sightings comes from none other than Frederick Douglass. While visiting Italy in 1886, Douglass encountered Ramon and two of her sisters. All three Ramon women had chosen exile over life in the United States. On December 13, 1894, Sarah Parker Ramon died of undisclosed causes. She is buried in the Protestant Cemetery in Rome. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Sarah Parker Ramon. Salute. 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 Man, 16 years old. You know, it just reminds me of the young folks I see out there today doing the same mm. thing, out there making their voices be heard at 16, 15, 14, you know? I'm seeing research and articles that people have written about the convict leasing program, and when we talk about that, I guess automatically we're programmed to just think of men, you know, the, these big, you know, strong men who are used to, you know, do slave labor and, uh, you know, lay railroad and do all the mining and cut down trees and install telephone, you know, build the infrastructure of this country. But there there were uh, possibly uh, tens of thousands of children who were, hey, youth detention facilities, if that's what you want to call it, they just didn't, you know, start locking up children in the past 20 years. No, they been doing this for hundreds of years, particularly black children and a number of them died doing hard labor in, in a, a, a prison system through the convict leasing program. Yes, that absolutely true. Frederick Douglass spoke on it on a number of occasions, how, you know, black children were being incarcerated and accused of crimes and even executed for crimes yeah. that they had never done. And, and of course, you know, they was taking, they wasn't um, looking at little African children on the West Coast of Africa or any other ports they was in and said, oh, he's too small, he's too young, we'll wait till he turn, you know, 13, then we'll come back for him. No, man, they snatching them up, babies and all. Yep, and in Montana, to snatch up one of those babies, teenagers, and put them in uh, prison for a year is $180,000. Unbelievable. $180,000 for a teenager for one year. Well, there you have it, man. We're coming up on the uh, conclusion of our, our program. Do we have anything else that I missed like I did last week, Scotty? Are, are we good? Uh, we Let me check the phone line, see if we got any uh, callers, because uh, we do have a little bit of time left. Uh, stay okay. tuned to the Black Talk Radio Network as the Lotus Place. Uh, we'll be live tonight on October the 7th, coming up immediately following New Abolitionist Radio on this Wednesday night. But we do have a caller, area code 407. Uh, thank you for uh, calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question and comment. Yeah, peace, New Abolitionist Radio Network listeners. I'm my aunt down the dial at Justice Radio Station. I have a question and a statement. Thank you, Scotty Reed, for the opportunity. You have an open invitation. New Abolitionist Radio have an open invitation at Justice Radio Station every night at 9 Eastern Standard Time. My question, what is the issue 
in light of history, politics, and miseducation of us all, what is the issue? What should the issue be? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Thank, thank you. Um, I think I understand what she means. Okay, you take a stab at it, Max. Uh, from our perspective, the number one issue is abolition. We need to end these for-profit private prisons, for starters. Get rid of all of the industries that are supported by for-profit prisons. We need to reduce the number of policemen we have by at least fifty percent. We need to close down a lot of these prisons, and at the top of our list should always be freedom for the innocent. And that's what we're looking for, freedom for the innocent. So we need to get those people out of those cages who are suffering. There are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and neighbors who are unjustly incarcerated. And once they're out, we need to take those hundreds of billions of dollars that we will save by not paying for these prisons and incarcerations and all these police and rebuild and restore the communities that were destroyed by these policies of evil. That's what we believe. Abolition at the top. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And I, I want you to analyze and, and even evaluate that, that question because I'm still doing that in light of history and politics uh, well, and miseducation of us all. I would like to um, also answer for answer for myself and, and bring my unique uh perspective if i was to say there is an issue the issue is racism and white supremacy globally thank you brother thank you thank you that's the issue the issue is racism and white supremacy and and all of the things that that entails but as in terms of new abolitionists we're focusing on the uh people activity areas of law and politics and i would also throw war into there but all of the people activity is the white supremacist uh manipulates all of those activities to have a a negative outcome for black people all right but as new abolitionists we are working off the um the fact that slavery was never abolished and that you know these white supremacists just uh changed the language to fool people and they amended it. That's the accurate. That would be an accurate description of what the 13th Amendment did, as the title would suggest. You know, but they said that they abolished it when the language says they amended it. So that's the issue. The issue is, I would say, on this particular continent goes back to the 1500s to where they uh, constructed race, uh, racial classifications uh to get you know uh people we might call or have been called uh poor white trash the scots irish you know the negroes uh so the less desirables the peons or whatnot of europe and then they brought them over here as slaves and then in the 1500s where there it were also africans being enslaved and everybody banded together to overthrow this system and the white supremacists made the 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 uh non-black non-white people a deal and said well we'll give you a position in this system that we are going to construct where you can help us enslave these people based on their skin color their their blackness and whatnot and and so that that that's a centuries old issue is race-based slavery is how i could sum it up you know in, in just a few words Thank you. All right. 
Indeed. And thank you for the invitation. Uh, you said Justice Radio oh, yeah. Station. What is the... Uh, yes, you can find it on blacktalkradionetwork.com. There's a big green media player that has all of the stations for our media players. Um, I don't know if they have uh, set up their own blog or website yet. Do, have y'all done that? And if you want to give out that information, how they can find you on Facebook or, or whatever. But if you want to tune into their station, it's, it's, it's based uh, right there. Uh, emanating from blacktalkradionetwork.com. Right, and I have a little network at your bookstore or justice.info. You can find us there. But right on the network, Black Talk Radio. Well, thank you so much for the inf- uh, for the invite, and Thanks I will take here. you up on it. I will certainly take you up on it. All right. <laughs> All right, peace, my sister. Good night. Okay, peace. Peace. Well, Coming to the conclusion of the program, and this is where we leave our final statements, things you might want to think about uh, until we meet up again next week. And please bring somebody with you. Information is power, and this is how we free ourselves, by changing our minds. So help someone else to change their mind. Uh, which one of you brothers would like to start this evening's final comment? I'll just make my final comment short. Um, we are in need of new abolitionists. Uh, they're about to let out about 6,000 uh, individuals. We got to keep the pressure on and tell them that ain't enough. We'll accept those prisoners of war, but that's not enough. We want all our people released that, that should not be uh, enslaved because slavery is wrong. And so we need to be recruiting those those uh, newly free people to, to become new abolitionists because their testimonies are powerful, more powerful than I could give you since I ain't never been enslaved on a prison plantation. I've been in jails all over the nation, uh, but I've never been in a, on a prison plantation. So they have some very strong testimonies. Uh, they need to be out in front telling their stories and telling people what 21st century slavery and human trafficking is like uh, for all those people all through all the years and decades, hundreds of years, centuries, in fact, uh, who have been fighting against slavery. Let's celebrate this minor uh, battlefield victory, re-energize ourselves and, and keep fighting and keep fighting this a long war and until uh they put up the white flag meaning uh you know we surrendering no more practicing white supremacy or whatnot then uh yeah um the battle continues so thank you the right on i'll be brief i just uh want to remind folks to find us on the uh new abolitions radio youtube page new abolitionists is also on twitter N-A-R, for New Abolitionist Radio Initials, N-A-R, End Slavery. Um, the New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page, Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery, is the Facebook group now somewhere around 2,500 members uh, where we uh, post actionable uh, methods of fighting modern-day slavery. We put out alerts to uh, individual cases of abuse and, and mishandling. Uh, of those who are behind prison walls. We have a lot of communication with the families and support groups uh, scattered across the country that are that are taking on various initiatives, uh, hunger strikes and boycotts and, and whatnot. So we've been able to see uh, people come together and take action and, and use their power to affect change, you know, in various uh, capacities. So definitely find us in these places and link up and work with us. Um, I just... Uh, I'll just uh, give you all a Martin quote, you know, and then, of course, you know, finish it with uh, my regular statement. But he says, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. So if we're going to continue 
to uh, to bash against this machine to end modern day slavery for real. We got to keep moving forward, family. So peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. Word. Uh, I just want to remind everybody too, uh, like it says with the disclaimer at the very beginning of the show, uh, we don't speak for the network. We're speaking for ourselves. We're brothers who have come together and decided enough is enough, and we're going to do what we can to make a change. And uh, I just want to point out that just for the record, it isn't just about private prisons. Prison as we know it, period, is in question for his, its historical and contemporary use of for-profit exploitative industry employing prison slave labor and an unjust incarceration based on racial, ethnic, economic, or demographical conditions for the constantly and consistently documented constitutional violations and for the direct contradiction it presents in a fair, free, and democratic society, for the intentional exploitation of held-over slavery language in the 13th Amendment, purposefully preventing the true abolition of slavery, which many hundreds of thousands of Americans died to establish Prison, as we know it, is wrong, contradictory to our national values, and a hypocrite stance in the eyes of the world. But prison does not happen in a vacuum, and our entire justice system is called into question along with its control of the largest population to have ever been perpetually kept in cages built for human beings since the dawn of mankind. 2.4 million adults behind bars, between 6 and 8 million under supervision, 14 million going through our jails in a year, and an exploding juvenile prison population, criminalizing the homeless, the addicted, the poor, and the impoverished, the immigrants seeking asylum from conditions we help create with our policies and unending wars against natural substances. This policy of criminalizing the historically oppressed to create a profit off their suffering rather than uplift them to manifest a better nation and world eventually established within our national character a desire to degrade our fellow man based on purely manufactured superficiality and inspired by unrestrained corporate greed. Our police have arrest quotas. Our prosecutors warp justice with plea bargain convictions rates well over 90%. Our courts have become processing plants awash in racist and unethical practices. Our prisons have occupancy quotas between 80 and 100% guaranteed by the state. Our immigration detentions, detention centers, more prisons, have quotas. This is what would be called too big to fail. And yet fail is what it does to humanity and our nation every day. In 2014, someone was arrested for marijuana every 45 seconds. Simultaneously, Colorado made so much money on legalization that they had to seriously consider giving some of it back to the citizens. Policing for profit, debtors' prisons, and court ticket schemes have been discovered as the primary source of income for entire counties. Chew on this. Every nation across the world but two considers cash, bail, bonds, immoral, unethical, and illegal. The U.S. and the Philippines are the only two nations to practice something so obviously wrong. All this needs to end. So for the record, I say again, this isn't just about private prisons. Let's call the abolition of for-profit private corporate prisons starting the process of abolition with the most obvious and agreed-upon offense. We don't want just reform. We want abolition. So please... Sign the Justice is Not for Sale Act petition. And remember that abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know peace. Peace. They started with slave ships. Slave ships. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. 
It seems inconceivable. Until you effected for 200 years ship sailing carrying cargo and slaves. Non, non, non-violent. In the face of the violence that we've been uh, experiencing for the past 400 years, is actually doing our people a disservice. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums. Music. 